Welcome, listeners, into another episode of In the Fog of Justice, The Puzzling Disappearance of Jacob Cavanaugh. On the evening of March 31, 2010, 31-year-old Jacob Cavanaugh vanished after playing frisbee golf with a friend. Within days, evidence would come to light indicating that he had driven over 1,000 miles, ending up in Sweetwater, Texas, before finally disappearing altogether. But what compelled this responsible and family-oriented father of two children to suddenly leave without telling any of his friends or family? And what became of him after that? A member of the Grand Traverse Band of Ottawa and Chippewa Indians, Jacob Jake Cavanaugh, was born on October 6, 1978 in Michigan and is one of ten children. Growing up, Jake was an outdoorsy, athletic, and happy child. He was a joker but serious. He was, you know, very serious about making sure things were in their place and things were clean and easy to find. Otherwise, yeah, a joker, his mother Mavis Klaus would later remember. Jake and his girlfriend Rachel got married right out of high school and the couple went on to have two sons together. He was a devoted father, perhaps because his own father was often absent while he was growing up and he didn't want that for his own children. Jake worked as a master mechanic at Dave's Garage, the top repair shop in town, and he was also a member of the National Guard. In addition to these responsibilities, he was a technical science student at Northwestern Michigan College, and just three weeks shy of graduation when he went missing. Jake, who loved to help people, was considering pursuing a career in nursing. He was a very good friend. He's the proverbial, give you the shirt off my back kind of guy said Sandra, Jake's older sister. Following the end of his marriage in 2008, Jake moved back in with his mother and was working full-time, as well as attending school. Jake met his friend Gary Wittig to play frisbee golf on the evening of March 31, 2010. According to Gary, their conversation was casual and Jake was in a good mood. Jake was in great spirits that day. He didn't seem upset at all and never mentioned that he was having any problems. Afterwards, Jake dropped Gary off at a local beachside park. Gary suggested that they go out to a bar together, but Jake declined, explaining that he needed to go home and study. Yet he never made it home that night. His mother knew immediately that something must be wrong because it was so out of character for Jake to not show up or let her know that he was going to be gone for a while. She reported her son missing on April 2nd, but was told by law enforcement that, because he's an adult, they couldn't file a missing persons report on him until he had been gone for at least a week. Until then, all Jake's family could do was try to get into contact with him. However, their calls were unanswered and always went to voicemail. Their concerns only intensified when Mavis received an alert the next day that a $40 withdrawal on her son's bank card had been declined at an ATM because of insufficient funds. It was unlike him to allow his balance to drop that low. The family immediately went back to the police and showed them the bank statement. The authorities finally agreed that something was off and put the family in contact with the county sheriff's department. The official investigation into Jake Cavanaugh's disappearance was about to begin. In an attempt to track Jake, the first course of action for investigators was to obtain his phone and bank records. As they pieced together Jake's movements in the days since he went missing, they became even more puzzled by his vanishing act 
and struggled to discern the motive behind it. Detective Jason Polzian. He loved his kids. He was a family-oriented person and not one to just up and take off. That's what ultimately got the law enforcement involved and a police report going a few days later. It turned out that the $40 withdrawal attempt was made at 10.31 p.m. on March 31st at an ATM in Cadillac, Michigan. Video surveillance from April 1st showed Jake and his 2002 Silver Chevrolet Malibu at a gas station in Matawan, Michigan, still wearing the work clothes that he was last seen in. He was alone, showing no outward signs of distress, and no one appeared to be following him. His cell phone was used for the last time on April 1st. He received financial aid for his schooling from the National Guard and was required to call in at the beginning of every month to confirm that he was still a student. This was the purpose of his final call, during which the phone pinged off a location near Springfield, Missouri. From that point on, his phone was either turned off or the battery had died. He left his charger at home. At approximately 3.30 a.m. on April 2nd, an officer spotted him sleeping in his Chevy Malibu at a rest stop in Arkansas. The police officer ran his information, which confirmed that he was Jacob Cavanaugh and had a valid driver's license. Again, he was the sole occupant of the vehicle. That same day, he arrived in Texas, where he purchased gas twice using his credit card, once in Fort Worth and again at 4.49 p.m. at a 7-Eleven in Sweetwater, Texas nearly 1-400 miles away from Traverse City, Michigan. His card was never used again after that. An examination of the surveillance footage from the 7-Eleven produced inconclusive results. While the car definitely looked like his, the man in the video couldn't be positively identified as Jacob Cavanaugh. In Sweetwater, Texas, it does appear that it's a silver Malibu that pulls into the gas station and there's a lone occupant again. You catch a brief glimpse of him. All you can tell is it's a skinny male. He's got a white t-shirt on, khaki shorts, and he's got white socks showing up over the top of the boots. And you never really catch a glimpse of his head or face, said Detective Polzian. Those who knew him felt that the man in the footage was dressed uncharacteristically and looked to be shorter than the 6-2A Jake. His sister Sandra stated, he was wearing cargo shorts, which I've never seen him wear cargo shorts. They're baggy and sloppy, and that's not the way he dressed. And so the clothes didn't match what he'd been wearing last. If he had to buy gas, then he wouldn't have money for clothes. That was always a question, so I'm not convinced it was him. Investigators began to wonder if it was possible that he decided to walk away from his life and start over in Mexico. However, it's worth noting that he didn't speak Spanish or have a passport with him. Additionally, there is no record of Jacob Cabanaugh ever entering Mexico, making a piece of information that the police would later obtain all the more disturbing. I'm not saying that Jacob Cabanaugh left, but people do leave, noted Captain Dave Meacham of the Grand Traverse Sheriff's Department. There were no gas purchases made using his card from Michigan to Texas, which led his family to wonder how he'd managed to pay for it along the way. I thought, how do you get from Michigan to Fort Worth and not buy any more gas? Questioned Sandra. Some have speculated that Gary Wittig, the friend Jake had spent time with before he went missing, might know more than he's saying. 
Strangely, he went quiet for a few days himself right around the time Jake disappeared. However, he explained this by saying that he met someone the night of March 31st and went out partying with them and that his phone battery had died, preventing him from texting anyone back for a while. He's never been named as a person of interest in Jake's case. Interestingly, Jake made a 57-mile detour to Ardmore while in Oklahoma for unknown reasons before once again heading in the direction of Texas. Though Jake had never had a problem with drugs as far as anyone knew, law enforcement and his family speculated that someone may have approached him with a means to quickly make some extra cash, possibly by picking up or transporting illegal narcotics. However, nothing has ever been found to support this theory. Jake was never seen or heard from again after his card was used in Sweetwater. So what happened to him? Jake's disappearance continued to puzzle and sadden his family. They couldn't believe that he would choose to leave them, particularly his children, without any explanation. Jake had seemed to be happy with no obvious issues. We love Jake and we need him to come home, said his mother. Jake's ex-wife, Rachel. I'm sad for the children especially, and I hope he does return. They talk about it a considerable amount. Xander's in therapy right now. But they're pretty resilient kids too. They're doing very well in school and things. Investigators received new information in 2017 that had chilling implications. In 2017, I was put in touch with NICB, which stands for National Insurance Crime Bureau. And according to their records, at some point the VIN, Vehicle Identification Number, for Jacob's Chevy Malibu flagged or alerted in Mexico. The only other information that they told me was that most likely it was at a scrapyard. So how did Jake's car end up in Mexico? And had he been there with it? Or was the vehicle perhaps brought there by someone else? That remains a mystery. His older sister, Sandra, firmly believes that he intended to return. I don't believe he was planning on being gone for an extended period of time at all, she told the Unsolved Mysteries podcast in 2023. He had every intention of coming back. That's my belief. It's out of his character to just pick up and go somewhere, to leave without letting anyone know, especially my mother, because, you know, we respect my mom. Sandra continued, he was very hands-on and present, and he would not have abandoned his children. I do think he's dead, because if he were alive, he'd be home. Jake's best friend, Ken Barringer, expressed a similar sentiment. I have known Jake for 10 years, and this is not the Jake I know. We spoke almost every day. My family loved him. Jake was always smiling and never seemed stressed. If he had problems, he would have told me. There have been no further developments in the case, but police are hopeful that the renewed interest generated by the Unsolved Mysteries podcast may produce new leads and that Jacob Cavanaugh's disappearance will one day be solved. Sandra spoke about the heart-wrenching difficulty of being left with no answers. It's just that not knowing that just is a cancer and eats at you. It's just the hardest part. We just hold on to that hope that we'll hear something, but every day it gets harder. Thank you for tuning in to Fog of Justice. What are your thoughts on this episode? <laughs>